Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. This is, ah, first Daily Power Parsha of 2022. This is it. This is the new year, the new secular year, if you will, of, uh, of DPP. Monday, January 3rd, Torah portion this week is bow. Bow, like um, bow nose Torah or something like that. All right, we have a lot to get to. Got a, a few more plagues. We got the Exodus this week. Some, Rabbi, uh, some very, this is yes. New Year Lachayim. Hold on, let me see. There's nothing in there right now. Oh, there you give, go. See that? Give Torah learning a shot. Give Torah learning a shot. That was, um, <laughs> that, that was the line of lines for that one. Right. Good, good, good. All right, I'm going to share my screen. I have the Torah uh, reading pulled up. All right, so Sandrine, in the Chumash, let's find it together. Um, Bo is, we'll find it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stay with me, guys. Stay with me, folks. Ah, 398, 399. Some very kind citizen put a, um, put a marker, put a ribbon in the Torah reading. So nice. Okay, Parsha's bow, 398-399. Hey, Mark, welcome. And inside, you have it right here on your screen, Exodus chapter 10, verse number 1. We are ready to roll. All right, so the Torah says, we're seven plagues in. I don't believe that God has told Moses that there are going to be specifically ten plagues, but I believe that God had told Moses prior that the big one's going to be where the firstborn of Pharaoh dies. Because if you recall, God had said to Moses, tell Pharaoh, you're messing around with my firstborn son. Your firstborn son is going uh, to get hit. Remember there was, a, there was a warning to that effect? So it seems like as long as the plague of the firstborn has not yet hit, then Moses realizes, okay, we're not done yet. We still got more, uh, more stuff going on. So here we go. Here's the next plague. This is plague number eight. So the Lord said to Moses, Come to Pharaoh. Bo el paro. Come to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Oh, is that the Rashi? Yes. Nice. Nice. Very cool. Yes, too. Oh. Mark has two, so. Look at you. When I, when, when I taught, there's a Rocky class you to do with the church and life. Right. And I was copying the pages. Got it. And it so you just got another copy. Actually, the, I think the five items was like 65, 70 bucks. There you go. I was spending like five, ten dollars for copies, so I figured. It's worth it. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. So God says to Moses, come to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants in order that I may place the signs of mine in his midst. And actually, let me now reference the printed version. So God says, come to Pharaoh and warn him for I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. Yeah, so basically the same, the same idea in, in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the printed translation. So I'm going to focus on the, the name of the Torah portion, which is Bo. Bo means come. Now come to Pharaoh, it, you know, the, the commentaries point out that it's a bit of a weird turn of phrase. Because what the Torah should have said, what God should have said, at least if we were scripting it, would be go to Pharaoh, right? Lech. El Paro. It, it would make sense to say, Lech El Paro. Go to, God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh. 
What's this come to Pharaoh? <coughs> come means, you say the word come when it means come to me, or come let's go together, right? Come means that you are part of that journey. So indeed the commentaries say that that's exactly what God is telling Moses. God is telling Moses, don't think that, you, that I'm sending you alone to, to Pharaoh. You go to Pharaoh. Come to Pharaoh, which means come with me to Pharaoh. I will be with you. Indeed, this is the secret to success. I said last week a secret to success is being able to, to picture, to envision the success. That's true. But another secret to success is knowing that we're not alone. Knowing that we're not just walking into hostile to enemy territory. You know, just us alone. Just, oh, here I am. But we are empowered by a, a special strength, a special energy from above, and Hashem is with us. So God says to Moses, come to Pharaoh. You're going to come with me to Pharaoh. You are not alone. What do you got? Rashi says, um, come to Pharaoh and warn him. Mm-hmm. And I've got a whole thing from Mizrahi that says that, where he have made his heart, and the heart of the servant's heavy. It appears to serve as a reason of God's command that most go to, go to Pharaoh. Saying, why is it, what, why are the two points interrelated? Why is it, come to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart? What's the connection between the two? Oh, what do you have on that? It goes on more, yeah. It says, um, uh, it does not, however, provide a logical explanation. Why should Moses come to Pharaoh? Because his heart has become heavy. Right. Rashi teaches that come to Pharaoh means come and warn him. That's from Sifsi Kachani. Got it. God anticipated Moses' possible question. What reason would there be for any further warning? That Pharaoh not already admit above, I have sinned this mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. And and I'm going to show what Mark is saying in a second, yeah. That's what uh, would comply with any future demands. God then goes on to explain that there is good reason to warn him, for I have made his heart heavy, and by his, and his compliance is by no means a foregone conclusion. Got it. So basically, the, the, the conceptual connection between the points of verse number one, where God says to Moses, come to Pharaoh, and then he says, for, which is almost because, because I have heart in his heart. How, how is that? How is one explaining the other? So come to Pharaoh means to warn Pharaoh about uh, letting the Jews out. And if not, he's going to get plagues. And lest Moses wonder, well, what's the point of warning him? He's already been warned a bunch of times. He already said he's going to let us out. He, what's the point of, of further warnings? So God says, for I have heart in his heart or made his heart heavy which means that it's still part of the process. We're still in the cycle of needing to warn him and him hardening his heart or his heart becoming heavy and that, that process happening. So it's still, yes, Ray. No, it says come to Pharaoh to warn him of the forthcoming plague. Right. The scripture does not mention locusts in his commandment to Moses. It's clear from what he told Pharaoh um, that he was sent to deliver a warning. That's according to Raj. Raj, yes, good, excellent, excellent, yeah. Come to Pharaoh is not just come to Pharaoh and schmooze, but it's come to Pharaoh and warn him. Why the warning? Doesn't he already know? He knows, but his heart is hardened, so or heavy. So he needs, we need to keep on repeating the cycle of warning and hardening his heart or being stubborn or being heavy, whatever, whatever, however you want to refer to the heart. We need to keep on going through the cycle, and that's what God is telling Moses. Good, good. Let's continue. Maybe, yeah. Maybe it's not just for Pharaoh to hear, but for everyone else to hear that Moses 
is, is it's transparent and Moses is warning everybody. Everybody else hears it. I like that. So it's not going to do any good. I like that. I like that. In fact, I think that was that idea was niggling, if you will, I think that's a word, in the back of my brain, but I don't think I articulated it even to myself. But I like that. In other words, maybe even though God knows that Pharaoh's going to say no, there should never be any claim, you never told me. Or anyone that's ever reading this later in history should never say, you know, they didn't get a fair shot of a warning. The people didn't know, Pharaoh didn't know. It's going to be transparent. It's going to be above board. You're going to come to Pharaoh. I've hardened his heart. It doesn't make a difference. You still have to warn. You still have to share the information. You've got to be above board and let him be the bad guy. But you don't act in a, um, in a sneaky way because he's being sneaky. You're going to go above board and, and announce everything. Good. I've got a question. Yeah. Why is it come to Pharaoh, not go to Pharaoh? Oh, so I mentioned that before. So Mark is asking why come to Pharaoh, not go to Pharaoh. So I mentioned before, go to Pharaoh means I'm sending you on a mission. Come to Pharaoh means I want you to come with me to Pharaoh. So again, this is not a literal interpretation. This is more of a Hasidic interpretation. So it means that Hashem is giving Moshe the koach, the strength, to be able to, to stand before Pharaoh. Now, why is that only here by plague number eight? Okay, that's another question. Um, there's another insight, which I didn't share before, but you know, you asked it, so I might as well share this, I think even a deeper insight. Come to Pharaoh could mean also, when will you be able to successfully face Pharaoh? It's when you first bow, when you first come into yourself. It's almost like you have to turn inward in order to be able to go to Pharaoh. Similar to what we said about Lech Lecha, when Hashem tells Avram, Lech Lecha, go to you, he, he's sending him on a journey outward, but it's really first go to you, first turn inward, and then you can go outward. Similar here, Bo means, come means come in, but he's really sending him out. So first come inward to your spiritual core, to the divine within, and then you can head to Pharaoh. Right, these are all kind of, circle, uh, kind of circling around the same, same point. All right, let's, let's continue verse number two. And in order... Right? So God is telling, is telling Moses why, why so many plagues, essentially. So number one, so that I may place these signs of, my, of, of mine in his midst, the plagues. And verse number two, in order, yeah, that you relate. I'm going to read the translation that I have in front of me, and then we'll reconcile with the online. And in order that you relate in the ears of your son and your grandson how I toyed around how I toyed around or made a mockery, right, with the Egyptians, and about the miraculous signs which I performed among them, you will then know that I am God. And here we have a very clear articu articulation of the fact that the plagues were designed not just to punish the Egyptians or to teach the Egyptians a lesson, but they're also a teaching moment for the Jewish people then and for all time. And look at verse 2. It couldn't be any clearer. We just read this in order that you relate to the, in the ear of your son and your grandson how I messed around, how I made a mockery of the Egyptians. It's, this is going to be a story that you tell the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids for generations. And by the way, spoiler alert, we're still doing it. Every Passover, we gather 
friends and family around the table and we say, let me tell you a story about what happened once upon a time in Egypt. We're still telling the story. If it would have just been like a easy, breezy, simple, you know, okay, you know, Pharaoh, let us go. There wouldn't be a story. God's almost saying that I'm going to make sure this is a story. This is going to be like a big story. These plagues, there's going to be a lot to talk about. All right. So it, it's a teaching moment. It's, it's not only a teaching moment, it's, it's an experience. Verse 3. So Moshe and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, came to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what God, the God of the Hebrews, said. So said God. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? This is God, Moses and Aaron relaying, relating what God tells them to tell Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh these words. How long, will, God says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go. I wonder, I have not been counting, I should have counted. I wonder how many times they actually say those words, let my people go. It's, it's more than, it's got to be upwards of, between six and ten times already, I think. It's definitely a decent amount of times they've said this. Um, let, ha- let my people go so that they can worship me, or th- and they will worship me. Okay, that's verse number three. Verse four now gets into the warning stage. Okay, and this is the warning. For if you refuse to let them go, if you don't listen... Then tomorrow, it's always tomorrow, by the way. It always gives him a day. You ever notice that? By all the plagues. It's, always, it's not like the plague is happening now. When he gives him a warning, he doesn't always give him a warning, but when he gives him a warning, it's always like tomorrow. you got 24 hours to figure this out, to decide. So for if you refuse to let them go, then tomorrow, verse 4, in the middle, I am going to bring a swarm of locusts into your border. And what's going to happen with the locusts? You might think, so what's the big deal with the locusts? Well, locusts are a problem. Verse 5. It will, it, the swarm of locusts, it will obscure the view of the earth. No one will be able to see the earth. You know what that means? They'll cover the earth. There'll be so many locusts that when you look outside in your fields, you won't even see the earth. You'll see locusts. Yeah, it will consume everything of yours that remains from the hail. Remember the hail just hit in the previous plague? Anything that didn't get crushed in the plague of hail, and I'm going to clarify that in a moment, is going to be consumed by the locusts. And it will eat all of your trees that that grow from the field. Let me explain. We said this last week, but just make sure we're all on the same page here. The hail broke and crushed and destroyed all vegetation that was um, stiff. Anything that was um, rigid, it broke. But anything that was soft, the hail did not break, did not destroy. That was described in Arashi. Actually, in the, it's, it's straight up the verses as explained by Rashi. Anything that was... Um, of the mature growth, we gave examples of different items that uh, Moses said, different items that grew. Basically, anything that was that was a little bit older and more mature, and then therefore more 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 rigid, broke. And anything that was younger, in other words, newly grown, 
and was softer, it didn't break. So the point here is that the locusts are going to come and finish off everything else. I'm trying to remember now back to what we read before last week about when, uh, when one nation lays siege against another nation. Remember this, Mark? You read this in one of the footnotes. And part of it, I think, is to go after, you go after the water supply or whatever. I would imagine this is going after the food supply. You have now two plagues in a row that are, ba that are just annihilating, just ripping up the food, which is a big deal. <laughs> if you have nothing to eat, a country cannot survive without food. That's, that, that, brings it, that brings a nation absolutely to its knees, and that's what's happening right here. So the water gets hit, the frogs do their thing, the lice is, in, is, is painful, then you have the wild animals devastating and, and terrifying, terrorizing everybody. You have their domesticated animals dying. You have your, the boils afflicting the people. You have the, the hail destroying vegetation. And now you're going to have locusts. Moses tells Pharaoh, you're get, tomorrow the locusts are going to hit and wipe out the food supply. Gone. Yeah, the note says the locusts are like a large army. Like an army. Yeah, that, that, that was earlier. So not about food specifically, but about the army. Okay, yeah. yeah. No, no, this is when he was... Uh, when he was comparing it to the CJ. Yeah. Okay, let's continue. Verse number six. What did he say? He said, we were going back to um, the explanation of the ten plagues in the context of understanding how it, it mirrors the way one army besieges a city. So the locusts, it's based on a measure, the locusts are like the army that comes in and like just swarms the place. But I'm looking, I'm, that's, that's from the Medrash. I'm giving a different angle on it, which is about a more literal, which is just about wiping out the food supply, which is going to, at some point, Egypt, will, Egypt can't live at this point. So Egypt is, is, is getting rocked. Yeah? The army, if, if the enemy still does not surrender, they are held in prisons. In darkness, right, 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 right. In, in captivity, which is darkness, yeah. But what uh, Anklo said about the locusts, about them not being able to see, you already covered that, right? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, we read, read about not being able to see, yeah. It covers the eye of the land. Onkelo says that's the eye of the sun of the earth. Interesting. In order to see the land, there must be a source of light. But the locusts will be so thick. Interesting. What Mark, Mark is quoting from Onkelos, which, which actually reverses the understanding of, of what the locusts are going to do. It's not that the locusts are going to cover the earth so you can't see the earth. It's that the locusts will be swarming in the skies that they're going to block the sunlight so you can't see anything on the ground because it's going to be so dark because of the, the aerial swarm of the locusts. That's also pretty impressive. By the way, we all know this, right? In modern times even, there are other instances of, um, of locusts in Egypt. Yeah, there, every few years there's like a locust infestation or some in some, maybe even the U.S., whatever, there's locust infestations. Wasn't there, wasn't there an infestation um, in Australia recently? Maybe that was rats. Did anybody read about this? There was like a, just an infestation. They were eating through cars. Like the stuff happens, but I mean, this is obviously, this is supernatural. What was, hap what was happening in Chicago? Yeah, uh, locusts? When we lived there, there was yeah, kind of like locusts or some sort of... Uh... But you have also like um, other types of... of what is it? Cicadas. Cicadas. Yeah. What do cicadas do? 
they make this chirping sound, and it's periodic every 17. Yeah. And what do they do? They destroy vegetation? Oh, they chirp. Okay, fine, but that's cicadas. But I'm thinking, but I'm, but, but there are things and diseases that can wipe out crops. Like if I, I, I think I might be correct, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like recently, even in Florida, there were like orange groves that got like devastated with various things. I think so. Or maybe California, whatever. I mean, it, so this is going to devastate Egypt. Remember, Egypt is very much dependent. I mean, every nation is dependent on its food, but Egypt is very, it's very um, fragile because the, the water, everything is irrigated from the Nile River and the Nile had its own issues with blood and everything. And now like maybe things are finally coming back and then you have the hail destroying this, some food, and now the locusts are going to wipe out the rest. Let's continue with verse number six. Um, they, the locusts, will fill your houses, your servants' houses, and the houses of all the Egyptians in a way which your fathers and grandfathers have not seen since the day they came onto the earth until today. In other words, this is going to be an unprecedented swarm of locusts, the likes that no one has ever seen before. That's the warning. Okay? Um, so why can we eat them? One, one second. He turned away and left Pharaoh. So on that, at, with, upon saying that, Moses, I just picture him like, indig- turns his heels. See you tomorrow, Pharaoh. See you later. Right? That's it. He gave the warning, did his thing. Obviously, obviously. There was an opportunity for Pharaoh to say, all right, all right, we're done, end it, it's over. <laughs> Mercy, whatever you want to call it, right? We're, I'm out, tapping out, game over, and letting the Jewish people go. He doesn't. Moses says, all right, I'm out of here. Verse number seven. So Pharaoh's servants said to him, said to Pharaoh, and now we see suddenly we see his inner guard, Pharaoh's inner guard, turning against, turning against Pharaoh, turning against the emperor, right? This is now like infighting is happening. Pharaoh's servants said, before the servants and the, uh, and the sorcerers had said to him, oh, this is very impressive. Oh, this must be the finger of God. Or they couldn't stand before them because they had the boils, whatever it was. But now they're actually saying, what are you doing? They're turning on Pharaoh. Pharaoh's servant said to him, how long will this one be a stumbling block to us? Let the people go, and they will worship their God. Don't you know, or don't, yeah, don't you yet know, don't you know yet, that Egypt is lost? That's a, that's a powerful line. The servants are telling Pharaoh, don't you realize what's happening here? You're holding on to the Jews as slaves, but because of that, you're destroying your country. The country is falling apart at the seams. You're not going to have a country left. There's no food. There are no animals. The people are devastated. The people, there's nothing left. What are you holding on to? You think Pharaoh can hear it? He can't even hear it. He can't even hear how self-destructive this is. He's so, and, 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 and you would think that this is so crazy it has no explanation. And then we realize that in life, you know, sometimes... You and I can do the same thing. We can hold on to something to the point that it destroys. And we hold on to it. My famous, my favorite, favorite, my go-to example, of course, is a faribble, a fight with someone else. We hold on to it to the point of of detriment. It, It destroys us, destroys them, destroys others. 
But we hold on to it. We can't let go. That's Pharaoh. Pharaoh is Mr. I can't let go. I can't let go of what I want. I want them as slaves. This is how I want it. It doesn't matter that Egypt is burning. I don't mean that literally. I mean that euphemistically. Egypt is falling apart. It's being destroyed. It's unraveling. So look what the servants say. How long are you going to allow this to go on? Let them go to their God. Egypt is lost. Of the Mitzrayim. It's, it's destroyed. I've got his note. Yeah. This is from Mizrahi, Sifsi, Kachamim. Commentaries on Rashi. These are commentaries on Rashi's commentary. Is, uh, elsewhere, Rashi makes clear that there is room for misinterpreting the meaning of, of Terah as before. Here, too, he points out that the correct meaning is not yet. Right. Yeah. So don't you know yet that Egypt is lost? That means that it's about to be lost. Yeah, it's not, it's not, hasn't, yet happened. hasn't yet happened, but we're at the precipice. Right. We're at the precipice of just abject de devastation. Which so we're not there yet. Yeah. Which is different, right? He's not saying that, right? He's not saying that Egypt is already destroyed. Good, good clarification. But don't you know yet that Egypt is lost? That it's that it's it's imminent, because I think this plague really got to them, because. Some food had survived. Some animals, if you recall in the previous plagues, the, some of the animals that were indoors survived. Some of the food that was softer, more flexible survived. But if we're dealing with locusts now, they're going to wipe out the rest of the food supply? So th then what? Th that's it. I mean, <laughs> we already know that Egypt feared famine. It was the story with Joseph, right? Joseph staved them off from, from famine. It's like deja vu, right? They're coming back into the no food supply, and this time they're done. This time the Jews that might help them are actually the, the, what's causing all this to happen because they're being subjugated. So like, exactly, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of cycles. Ego. Can't let go. He can't admit that he's wrong. Can't let go. Now I'm going to surrender. Right? He's going. He's going down. Basically, he's willing to go down. It just reminded me also of something where, and I, I can't. I don't know the details, but like imagine where somebody is. Maybe there's experiments where. An animal puts their hand through to grab food, they can't get their hand out with the fist. You know, like you could put your hand in. But when you make a fist to hold on to something, you can't get it out. And the animal will stay like that and not let it go until they die. It's, there's an experiment like this. Somewhere, somehow, someone did this experiment with some animal and some type of food in some context. And the animal will literally starve to death and not just let go and move on to somewhere else. Because it's, it's, it's just not, not wanting to let go, even if it means doom. All right. Feels like the air conditioning is on in here. Yes. Doesn't it feel like it's the AC is on? Feels freezing. All right, hold on. We're gonna take a quick break. Take it off. Yeah. Let me let me figure out what's. I think maybe we'll get some some warmth here. Let's get some heat on. All right. Quick uh, thirty second coffee break. HVAC break. Give me a second.
All right, here we go. We are back. Hopefully that was 30 seconds. Okay. I hope the heat is working. I put the heat on, but it's, it still feels cold. Okay, listen, if anybody wants to know how cold it is in Atlanta, just come here. Um, I see some penguins at the front door. They're looking to come in. They heard it's nice and cold. Let's continue. Polar bears. Polar, sorry, polar bears and penguins. No, I didn't They're see They're immigrating it. from uh, the United States to Russia. Oh, yeah? There's an island in, I think it's called Wrangell, whatever. Yeah. But because of global, because of global, global warming, they're going to Russia now, the yeah. polar bears. All right. Listen. You can see the immigration. You see, yeah. They're, yeah, they're leaving. There you go. The polar bears are, are fleeing. What's next? All right. Let's jump back in. Let's jump back in to, um, to the verse. Verse number eight to the Torah. To, uh, here we go. Verse eight. So Moses and Aaron, thereupon Moses and Aaron, Moshe and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh through a messenger. And Pharaoh said to them, go worship God. Aha, so he relents here. Uh, well, allegedly relents here. He says, go worship God, your God. But who exactly will be going? Who and who are going? Just let me know. All right, you can go. He says, you can go. Who's going? So Moses says, He says, everybody, we're all out of here. Moses said, with our youth and with our elders, we will go. With our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our cattle, we will go. For it is a festival of the Lord of God for us. It is a festival for us. This is a Chag. In the Hebrew, it's Chag. You ever hear the phrase Chag Sameach? Right? Chag, holiday. It's a Chag. This is a festival for us. So Pharaoh says, you can go. Who are you taking? And Moses says, who am I taking? Everybody. What kind of question is that? Not only the adults, the kids. Not just the males, the females. Right? Everybody's going. Don't think this is going to be like, you know, a few guys are going to go and do a thing. Everybody's out. And the animals as well. Everybody's out. All of us. So Pharaoh said to him, verse 10, so Pharaoh said to them, you will need God to be with you even if I will just send you and your children. All the more so, I'm, this is the translation I'm reading has Rashi built in. So I'm going to say this again. You will need God to be with you even if I will just send out you and your children. All the more so if I send the cattle too. See that the evil which you intend to commit, turns back at you. Pharaoh is ripping into Moses and Aaron right now. He says, you are asking for everyone to go out, men, women, boys and girls, and the animals, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Verse 11. Not so. Entering, not so. Hold on a second. Let me just finish this. Verse 11. Not so. I will not allow you to take the children as you are requesting now. Rather, just the men can go and serve God. For that is what you have requested in the past. They were then driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So Pharaoh basically, Pharaoh basically said... At that, so Pharaoh says, okay, 
go worship God, who's going? Moses says, everybody. Pharaoh says, over my dead body. This is my uh, cliff notes. That's my cliff notes. Not going to happen. Um, let's actually toggle Rashi. Let's see if we can see some Rashi on these last few verses because um, it's a little bit cryptic. So Pharaoh says, surely I will not let the flocks and the cattle out as you said. Right. You're saying everyone's going to go. Obviously not. Obviously not. Um, listen to this. The Medrash... There's an Agadic Midrash, which means a non-literal Midrashic teaching that explains the passage in a different way. It looks very interesting. There's a star named Ra'a, meaning evil. Ra'a, like Ra is evil, Ra, evil. Pharaoh said to Moses and Aaron, with my astrology, once again, him, him and his astrology, I see, that, I see that star, the star of evil, ascending towards you in the desert where you would like to go, and that is a sign of blood and slaughter. When the Israelites sinned with the calf, the Holy One Blessed Be He sought to kill them, Moses said in his prayer, why should the Egyptians say, with Ra, he took them out? Interesting. This is what Pharaoh said to them, see that Ra, evil, is opposite your faces. That's what he says right here. Ru'uki Ra negapinechem, I see that evil is before your faces. Right? Evil is Ra, is a star. Implying that their blood would be shed in the desert. Immediately the Lord repented of the Ra, the sign of the star. He turned the bloodshed, symbolized by the star, into the blood of circumcision. For Joshua, in fact, circumcised them. This is the meaning of what it said. This day I have rolled away the reproach of the Egyptians for you. For they were saying, we see blood over you in the desert. Very, very interesting. It seems like there was a, fore, a foretelling, a negative foretelling of doom and gloom to befall the Jewish people. Out in the desert, there was like a blood star hanging over their heads. And God ultimately changes that from being doom and gloom to being the blood of circumcision of Brit Milah. After the Jews left Egypt, the Exodus, they, at some point in the desert, they did a mass bris ceremony for all those that had not been circumcised in Egypt. You know, over the years, it had kind of not been practiced 100%. So they did a mass, uh, you know, they did Britim, they did circumcisions for anyone that needed it. So that, that's how they fulfilled, if you will, the star of blood that was over them in the desert. But it's interesting where Pharaoh says, right, see that evil is before your faces. So what does that actually mean? See that evil is before you from your before your faces. According to this, it's I see, says Pharaoh, through my astrological prediction, that evil, that this star of blood is before your faces, is your is your is your destiny. So you want me to let you out? First of all, your cattle is not going anywhere. And second of all, you think you're going somewhere better? You guys are going to face a downfall in the desert. That's kind of Pharaoh kind of getting in like a jab on the way out over here. Um, but he says, not so, Rashi, as you have said that you want to take the young children with you, but let the men go and worship the Lord. In other words, he's saying not so even to the kids. So in the previous verse, verse 10, he says, not not letting the animals go. And in verse 11 he says, I'm not letting the kids go either. Only the men. Only the men. For that is what you request. In other words, that is what you have requested up until now when you said, let us offer sacrifice. Let us offer and sacrifice to our God. So Pharaoh says, young children do not usually offer up sacrifices. So when you asked before to go so that you can, so that you can um, offer sacrifices, it's clear that those are not going to be the adults, sorry, those are not going to be the kids, because kids don't usually 
don't usually participate in that type of ritual worship. So clearly, you asked only about the adults, and that's what I'm consenting to now. Anything else, I'm shutting down. And he chased them out. Rashi says, this is elliptical. Elliptical. Interesting, interesting turn of phrase, for it does not specify who the chaser was. Elliptical, I always thought, meant like circular, right? I don't know if it means circular here. Rashi says, Rashi says it's, a, it's an abbreviated phrase. I'm not sure why elliptical is used here. It's an abbreviated phrase because the Torah doesn't tell us who the chaser was. Someone chased them out before Pharaoh, maybe the guards, maybe who knows. Uh, but they saw that the conversation was getting tense and was not being productive. They were fighting now, and so they, they moved out. The bouncers moved Moses and Aaron out from before Pharaoh. But either way, what we find here in this, in this conversation is that Moses and Aaron are warning Pharaoh about the plague of locusts. That hits, it strikes a chord. The servants are now afraid. They tell Pharaoh, what are you doing? So Pharaoh calls back Moses and Aaron and says, all right, I'll let you go. Who's going? Moses says, everybody. Pharaoh says, no deal. No animals, no kids. And Moses says, no deal. And then they, they move Moses out. That's, that's the storyline. All right. This is interesting. What do you got? Um, Anklos. Yes. The tribe of Anklos renders Kazo, Ari, Nushab. Anyway, this is a... It renders seed of the evil which you intend to commit uh, turns back at you. He's, that was a warning to Moses and Aaron. Yeah, the evil that you commit, that you're trying to commit, the, the har- he's still playing the victim. Pharaoh's still playing the victim. You guys are trying to escape and trying to harm me. You know, I, it's going to come back to you one day. Yeah, I mean, that's like a classic. Classic, uh, classic Pharaoh. What are you going to do? All right, chapter 10, verse 12, second reading. Let's jump in. This is today's reading for Monday. So the Lord said to Moses, well, Pharaoh had a chance. There was even a conversation. Well, it didn't work. So God says to Moses, let's go. Plague on. Plague eight is happening. Stretch forth your hand. Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt to bring about the plague of locusts. It will pass up over the land of Egypt and eat all of the vegetation of the earth that was spared by the hail. That's the second time that we have the, the, the clarification that it's going to destroy, that the locusts will destroy the, any vegetation that somehow survived the other plague, the prior plague, the plague of hail. At this point, everything is going to get wiped out, right? Everything must go. Clearance sale, everything must go. Verse 13, so that's what happened. Moses stretched forth his staff over the land of Egypt, and God caused an east wind to blow upon the land all of that day and all night. So there's an easterly wind whipping up over Egypt. By the time it was morning, the east wind was carrying the swarm of locusts. There you go. If you ever need to carry a swarm of locusts, you know what to do. You've got to whip up the wind first. You've got to get that wind going, and then you can get your locusts. Basic uh, locust transport 101 stuff. All right, verse 14. What happened with these locusts? The locusts, the swarm of locusts went up over the entire land of Egypt and rested within all the borders of Egypt in a very severe manner. Before it, there was never such a locust swarm, and after it, there will never be one like it, which implies that there were other infestations of locusts in Egypt, but never at the, to the degree 
that they saw at that, at, with, with this plague. Never before and never since. It obscured the view of the earth, verse 15. It or they, it the swarm or they the locusts, obscured the view of all the earth, which we had two interpretations. Whether because, sorry, and the land became dark, but again, either because they covered the land or they covered the sun, so to speak. They blocked the sun from shining. That seems to be where this is going. It, the swarm of locusts, it ate all the vegetation of the earth and all the fruits of the trees which were spared by the hail. No greenery in the, in the trees or vegetation in the fields remained throughout the entire land of Egypt. This is now the Torah telling us what actually went down. Not the warning of what's going to go down, but this is actually in real time what happened. There was no greenery in trees. There was no vegetation in the fields that remained after this plague. Everything was wiped out. Well, Pharaoh is still triggered by this plague. I told you before, he ran to get Moses and Aaron before the plague. Now he's running to get them right after the, after the plague is hit. He runs. Verse 16, Pharaoh quickly hastened and he summoned Moshe, Moshe and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, he said to them, Chatasi Lashem, I have sinned against God, your God, and against you. Verse 17, now please forgive my sin. Just this time. So interesting. Forgive my sin only this time, just this time. What does that mean? I feel like it's a Freudian slip. Forgive my sin only this time means like, I don't actually plan on ending this. Right? Like, let, let me go this time and, and, you know, we'll be okay. In other words, like, he just tried to slink out of it. Forgive now my sin only this time and entreat God your God. Let him take away just this death from me. Verse 18. I'm just going to say this again. I know I've, I've repeated myself ad nauseum at this point. This plague of locusts was, was the real deal. This, this really got, got everybody quaking. This was, this was problematic. Can't, can't, no food, no, no life. I mean, you just, there's nothing you can do right now. Verse 18. So Moses, he left Pharaoh and pleaded with God. He entreated the Lord. He prayed. And what happened? God turned back a very strong west wind. So before the eastern wind had carried the locusts in, so now God reverses the wind and you know like ceiling fans, you can adjust them? You know how many years of my life I did not know that that was a possibility? That in the summer you do this way, in the winter you're supposed to do that. Who knew? Who knew there was a, huh? Two ways. Yeah. Because one blows down and one sucks up or something. Whoever knew? Because hot air rises. And so in the winter, when your heat is on, you want the air that's high, that's next to your ceiling, being pushed down. And when it's summer, when you want... Summer, yeah. yeah. Or right, whatever. Anyway, the bottom line is you can reverse it. Uh, honestly, it's like, oh, you ever have these mattresses that also you're supposed to reverse? Yes. Not, not just time to rotate, but like there's a winter side and a summer side. Who can remember? I mean, seriously. How many things have to be changed? You have to change your filters, right? You got to... I mean, seriously. Too many things. I'm kidding. All of this is half in jest, but... 
Anyway, so God reverses, huh? I remember going to a friend's house and they had ceiling fans and they turned them on for the winter yeah. and that freeze. Yes. <laughs> they may have thought they pushed the wind down. All right. I know was it was cold. It was cold, right. <laughs> there you go. So be careful when you use a ceiling fan in the winter. It might get cold. Like this, but it's getting warmer here. I think it got warmer because yeah. it was very cold before. All right. The plague of coldness is hitting Chabad in town. <laughs> it's like yeah. a new plague. New, new for 2022. The plague of... Shabbat was also cold? Don't remember. Oh, I do remember. Yeah. I remember also joking that I have like so many layers, I have no idea. One, two, three, I have wool kapata, wool talus, wool tzitzis underneath also, my shirt. Layers. So many layers. I layer up for sure. You never know. All right. Back inside. Back inside. So verse 18. Let's start again. So Moses left Pharaoh and pleaded with God. He died unto Hashem. God turned back a very strong west wind. It carried the swarm of locusts and plunged them into the sea of reeds. Look at that. It took the whole swarm of locusts, boom, into the sea. But talk about foreshadowing. Talk about foreshadowing. Right? The locusts drown or whatever deposited, I don't know what happens then, into the Sea of Reeds. Ah, it's going to happen to the Egyptians at some point. Not one locust remained within the entire border of Egypt. Not one locust remained. What's the significance of not one locust remaining? So that they couldn't eat them. So that they could not eat them. That's what Rashi says. I know. I know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Look, look at what Rashi says. Here we go. Even the salted ones, the salted locusts. You want to get a salted locust. I'm just saying. It's like um, honey roasted. So, I'm just joking. Sorry. I know some of us are eating here. Anyway, so even, even, I know some locusts are kosher. Not all. Some that we have to have a tradition for or whatever. So even the salted locusts, which they had salted for themselves to eat, they were also carried away. This is, imagine, imagine this. One second. Let, let's, 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 let's break this down. The whole point of the, can't say the whole point. Part of the point of the plague of locusts was to destroy the food supply. So imagine if the locusts eat up all the vegetation, but then the locusts die, and now the Egyptians have locusts for days to eat. So then you're, it's still not a plague. You, you took away one food, one green food, and you replaced it with another green food. You took away a vegetable and gave them a protein. So great. I mean, like the Egyptians still now have relief. They could still live on the locusts. So God says, no. Not going to make it so easy. All your locusts, you want them gone? They're gone. No salted locusts for you. No chocolate-covered locusts. Is the reason... No honey... <laughs> yeah. Is the reason locusts, or some locusts are kosher, is because they were part of the place? This I don't know. Uh, Mark is asking why in the Torah and the laws of kosher do we find that some locusts, fa some locust families are kosher? I don't know. We would have to look over it. In general, the rules of kosher follow a principle of these are way beyond what we can understand. Why only an animal that chooses cut and has split hose? Who knows? Why only certain types of locusts? No idea. Maybe because there's only one available. Maybe. You're saying maybe they needed it because they were in the tent. Right. Yeah. Mana, mana ran out. I ate all my mana for breakfast. What are we going to eat? All right. Get the locusts. Maybe. Yeah. Um, let's, yeah, exactly. Let's take a look at, is vend, vendeur in French, vendeur? 
vendor? V-N-D-U-R-E? Green leaf? A green leaf? Rashi says there's some sort of green leaf action over there. All right, let's get back inside. Uh, what is it? Am I reading it wrong? I am reading it wrong. Oh my, I can't even read properly. Look at that. Vegetation. There you go. Thank you very much, Donna. I, I'm not going to try. I tried and I failed to pronounce it. Even, even in English, even, sorry, even the read basic letters I can't get right. Let on the accent, yes. I'll swap French. Lessons for Hebrew lessons. <laughs> Listen, we could talk about Hebrew anyway. I don't know. I, I don't, you know. I don't know if I'm up to it yet, but I, I appreciate it. Vet, so that word is used till today? Yeah. Means greenery? Mm-hmm. What would you use it for? Greenery. Vegetation. Greenery. Greenery. You go to a garden. Oh, it's beautiful. All right, good. Good. I'm going to say Rashi knew what he was talking about. Rashi was French. He's given us French. Rashi gives. That would be cool. Like learning. Who needs Rosetta Stone? Right? When you got Rashi. You got Rashi's commentary. Like a, a dictionary of Rashi's French. Yeah, the best of. You say most of Rashi is old or is it. Or is, yeah, it's, it's, it's antiquity, anti, antiquated. Yeah. Vedur is real. Okay. Legit. It says, yeah, it says the word uh, yerek means green leaf. Which right. Is very, very dour. Yerakot, vegetables. Yeah. We say that in the, in the Manashtana. She'ar yerakot, halaylazeh, halaylazeh, kula omarar. Yerakot. All other days of the year we eat other greens. Yerakot, verdors. I'm not saying that right. But on this night we only eat marar. And all right. No, I'm still messing it up. I'm not going to try because I sound. All right. I, we'll have to have private lessons on this. Okay. Let's move. Let's continue. Let's move on in the narrative. Let me hide Rashi for a sec. All right. So, oh, verse 20. Well, you got it. You got it, my friends. Exodus still is not happening because we're still in a state of stubbornness. God strengthened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not send the children of Israel away, even after that plague. All right, let's continue. Next plague. Next, number nine, verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, God said to Moshe, stretch out your hand toward the heaven, and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt. Remember, we have a series of three plagues, three, three, three. In the third set, right, the way it works is third sets come without warning. There's no warning here. God says to Moses, unilateral plague, stretch forth your hand toward the heaven and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt. The darkness will become more intense than normal darkness. Here in the online translation, the darkness will become darker. Darker than what? It's not, nor, it's not just it's going to become nighttime early. It's going to become a much more severe type of darkness, which we'll talk about in a moment. So Moshe stretched forth his hand toward the heavens, and there was a thick darkness, thick darkness over the entire land of Egypt for three days. No person... Three days, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that the light was blocked out. With the locusts. With the plague of locusts. Right. And so here, it's almost like 
Oh, the locust coming? Right. So we just had the light, right? We just had a blackout because of the locust. Right. Now we're getting another blackout. More locusts or something else, right? Let's continue. 23. No person could see his brother, nor could any person rise from his place for three days. However, the children of Israel had light in all their homes. And that takes us to the end. I want to share a quick few insights on this plague of darkness, and then we're going to close it out for today because we're at the time. So number one. Um, what does it mean that there was thick darkness? I have that highlighted online, thick darkness. According to the commentaries, it means that the darkness was palpable. You can actually feel the darkness. Now, typically, that doesn't make sense, right? Because when it's dark, it's something that's about an absence of light. It's a visual thing, not a, not a tangible thing. But the darkness, but you ever hear the expression like the tension was so thick in the room you could cut it with a knife? There's an expression like that. So the darkness was so thick, you could feel the darkness. And on some level, it was debilitating. They couldn't move, right? They, as verse 23 says, not only did they not see each other, but no one could rise from his place for three days. That means they couldn't move. They were so dark. Now, is this a literal, that it was literally thick, like they were stuck in, like, suspended in jello or something, like in this kind of atmospheric heaviness? Maybe. That's how I, we heard it as kids. As kids, we were taught that it was th literally thick. Or maybe, you know, as we become adults, we realize also there's a type of darkness that makes you immobilized. There's a type of darkness and fear and anxiety that can, you know, that can, that can make you not get up. That can keep you in bed, keep you stuck. It's the way it is in life, right? Sometimes, unfortunately. And so what was this darkness? Maybe all of the above. Literally thick, figuratively thick, emotionally thick, you know, psychologically thick. Either way, there's no movement. There's no movement. You can't see the other. You can't rise from your place. Yeah, it's the antithesis of holiness. Antithesis of holiness is that you can see your brother. You can empathize with another. You can rise up from your place. You can always ascend higher. The, 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 the antithesis of that evil is you don't see your brother. You don't rise. You're not growing. You're not learning. You're not empathizing. It's just... Stuck. What's Stuck in. Ach like achiv. It says literally brother. Literally, literally brother. Rabbi. But it means more. Yes, Ray. Well, th that was the time that the Israelites were to go into the homes of the Egyptians and see where the silver and gold was. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Thanks for reminding me. So it says, according to the commentaries, that it was at that time during this plague of darkness where the Egyptians couldn't see and couldn't even move, that the Jews went in because the Jews were operating on a different, different wavelength. And again, when we understand this emotion or psychologically, it makes sense. Someone is stuck and the other one is not stuck and they're moving around and they have light, they have clarity, they have, you know, they're, they're, they're of a buoyant nature and they're not, they're not restricted. But anyway, so the Jews were not restricted by this darkness and they were able to move around and they checked the homes of the Egyptians and were able to seek out, they were told to, to, to catalog the, the wealth and the riches of the Egyptians so that when it came time to leave, they would turn to the Egyptians and say, hey, give us the stuff that you're required to give us. And they would say, we don't have anything. Like, well, check your drawer. I'm pretty sure you have it. Last time I checked, which was not that long ago, it was right there. It's commentary on Rashi. He says, or it says, the Torah mentions the fact that the plague of darkness lasted for three days and repeats this unnecessarily in the following verse. Mm -hmm. this, rep this repetition leads to the interpretation that the plague was made up of two 
three-day periods. So what we see here is, where, where do we have the second instance of three days? We have, so Mizrach is, but where, where is that? Verse 22, verse 22 has it. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Verse, let's see. Yeah, three days. Yeah. In verse 22 and 23, it mentions that, that the plague was for three days. It says, uh, there was thick darkness over the land for three days. And then it says that no one saw each other or could rise from his place for three days. So the commentaries say, as Mark pointed out, that this means that there were multiple three-day periods. And I believe, I don't know if it's in what you're reading, but I believe that it gets worse and worse. No, no, Rashi says, why did he bring the plague of darkness? They were among Israel, they were among Israel of that generation, wicked individuals. Yeah. Um, who did not wish to depart from Egypt. Right. So apparently the first, they died during the first three days of gloom. Yeah. The first three days were for them, the second three days got to be Got it, got it, got it. So what Mark is pointing out is something else that happened during this plague of darkness, which is that Jews that did not want to leave Egypt, they died in this plague. So that the Egyptians wouldn't see them die because it wouldn't be nice if the Egyptians would have a satisfaction of watching Jews die. So God didn't want to give them the satisfaction. So he took out the Jews that didn't want to leave. He took them out in the first three days of darkness. No Egyptians saw, and then the next three days of darkness was, was further on. So anyway, there's different stages of three days um, in this plague. All right, this takes us to the end. So what are some lessons that we can walk away with? I mean, the narrative itself is, is obviously you know, full, of, full of different pieces, but what are some takeaways? So I'm just going to look back here for my own reference. Number one is we have to know that anytime we face a Pharaoh, we do so with God at our side. Come to Pharaoh means you're not alone. You're coming with me. I am with you. Um, we also learned about, we learned about holding on to something to the point that it's self-destructive. Right? The servants of Pharaoh say to him, how long are you going to hold on to them? Don't you know that Egypt is yet lost? It's about to be destroyed. Don't be like that... Uh, like that experiment where the, that, that creature, animal, whatever it is, put the hand in and held on and couldn't pull it out, and that's it. That was the end. Be able to let go and, and, and spare everyone, as opposed to holding on and destroying everything. Um, I didn't mention this before, but I'll mention this now. Pharaoh asked Moses, who's going? Moses, everybody. Religion is not just for the adults. Spirituality, is, Judaism, Yiddishkeit is not just for the adults. Not just for the adult males. It's for everybody. Men, women, sons and daughters. Moses sets the template for what it means to serve God. Everybody. Everybody's involved. It's not just the boys. It's not just the men. It's not just the adults. It's the kids. Everybody. Everybody's. The young, the old. Everybody's involved. That's, we're all meant to have a relationship with Hashem. And even the animals. Animals, in this case, I would say euphemistically refers to our possessions. Even we, we can use even our possessions in the service of Hashem. Our homes to host people for Shabbos. We can use our, our, our vehicles to get to a Torah class. We use our computers to study Torah, etc., etc., etc. We use our re resources, our animals, so to speak, to, to connect with Hashem. And finally, in this last reading, point out this idea of the darkness and how um, 
we have to be careful with the darkness because the darkness can be darkness can be debilitating and the first step of debilitating darkness is when we can't see our brother when we can't see our sister when we can't see the other the first step is being able to see and empathize with the needs of the other that means that we're truly able to see if we can only see ourselves we can't really see then we are stuck in a state of darkness all right um i think we'll close out here questions or comments from our online crew first donna ray or sarah questions comments made sense okay good good to see you all we'll see you back on tomorrow um at noon same bad time same bad channel um stay tuned for an announcement about rcs um we're not on for tonight well the new date is uh, will be announced today please god so stay tuned for that okay is there anything tomorrow night tomorrow night no i'm gonna say no with hesitation no no not tomorrow night the next the next night thing yeah so the next night thing is going to be um next night thing is wednesday it's torah studies like normal and then the following week we probably have a few things going on we have um, nomi freeman we may have some rcs and then the tuesday night we have um label wolf and then the week after that is the concert anyway we have a lot of stuff coming up so an email should go out today with all, the, with all that stuff. Yeah, we have a musical event. It's called Judaism, the Soundtrack. It's an, it's an evening of Hasidic music and the stories it tells. So that should be interesting. Who doesn't like stories and music? And dessert. A wine and dessert reception. Can't go wrong with that. All right. Um, great to see everyone. Stay healthy. Stay safe. And looking forward to studying together soon. Take care, everybody. Oh, also, by the way, I'll mention this. If you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, we're 23 subscriptions away from our first 1,000 subscribers, which is the milestone. So help us get there. Go to youtube.com slash Academy, hit the, hit the subscribe button, and get us to, uh, and share it with some friends and family, and get us to 1,000. Be nice. Nice milestone. The channel's not that old. I mean, I think we have some older videos, but I think we started yeah, this. So what is it, YouTube? What? It's YouTube. Just look for In Town Jewish Academy. YouTube.com slash In Town Jewish Academy, one word. And that's it. Hit subscribe. Boom. You'll get us there. Yeah, it's all the classes are up there. It's, it's great. It's a lot of fun. All right. We'll see you guys. Take care, everybody. Be well. Zeigesund. Pleasure, pleasure.